We thank God. Paul says, Philippians 3, he said, I count all things but loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ as my Lord. In other words, in my life, and no matter where I am and no matter what I've accomplished in my past, there's nothing that can attain the love of Christ and the glory of God, and so I got to lay everything at his feet. How many of you recognize and understand that reality? How many of you understand and recognize that reality? Amen, amen, amen. Nail my glory to the cross. Um, before we begin, to just don't forget uh, today, uh, we're going on our prayer walk. It would be great if some of you could sacrifice, come back. Uh, we we're Hopefully in the future, we'll be having a prayer walk that you guys can do after the first gathering. And uh, we can look for some folk to lead that. So if you would like to help lead the prayer walk after the first gathering on the first Sundays of certain months, um, we try to do it during the spring, summer months, and early fall, and then take off in the winter. But if you are available, we would love to um, talk to you about that and what that would mean so that we can, because we want to make sure that uh, we treat this gathering equally with the second one. We know that the second one, we have a little bit more time, and so and then it's naturally things come after it, but we wanna make sure that you're able uh, to participate in that and we can have as much uh, diversity of people, groups, and on our prayer walk as we can. It would help uh, display what our church is really like and um, it will be a great opportunity to minister to our neighbors as well. So I'm excited about that. Also the Frequency Conference, if you could do us a favor, if you're gonna register, just go ahead and register after the gathering. It's gonna be an exciting time of men and women who are, uh, to me, some of the best people in their fields are gonna be ministering to us and helping us uh, to get a better grasp on different areas of life and ministry. And um, it's not just for people that are vocationally in ministry, but it's people who live and walk with Jesus as their vocation of life as well as congregants. And so um, join us for that. It's going to be a great, 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 great time. And then concert as well. Um, uh, let's, let's come on into concert. Let's get a nice time to cap that off in worship. All right? All right? Y'all in the building today? All right. I'm just making sure. Well, Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We need to maximize our time. We have a lot of ground to cover today. And um, we have one more week in this series on uh, race, justice, and the gospel. Um, we only have one more week on this. And so this is the second to last week. And then we'll be bringing our next series. Turn with me if you will, to Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 27. Amos, he's a prophet. Go to the prophetic books and find him. He's a minor prophet with a major voice. So why don't you find your way there? When you get there, say amen. amen. If you're not there yet, say hold up. A lot of y'all say hold up. Go to that table. If you're in the ESV Bible, it's page 768. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. And let's get it, family. Let's go ahead. Let's, uh, let's, let's read this together. You know how we do. You keep going after the first verse. Let's get it. I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Keep going.
Amen. Amen. In this third installment in our series on justice, race, uh, race justice and the gospel, um, I'd like to talk about gospel justice, gospel justice, how to turn prophetic voice into gospel action. Let's, 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 again, gospel justice, how to turn prophetic voice, not pathetic voice, prophetic voice into gospel action. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you and honor you for your mercy and your grace. And uh, I know feathers have been ruffled during this series, and that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for making us uncomfortable, uh, because discomfort is the environment of growth. And so, God, will you nurture in us not just a discomfort, but a disdain for injustice in our world? Help us not to separate it from the truth of the gospel. It's sad that as uh, soon as you begin to talk about the, the necessity of justice, it almost seems like it's an unbiblical idea and separate from re, uh, uh, regeneration by faith in Christ alone. And so it's almost like you have to explain yourself when you talk about justice and acting and that type of thing. And so, God, I'm praying that you would squelch uh, the, uh, the ideals in all of us, Lord God, that make its way into helping us to not recognize uh, that this is an outworking of our faith in you. And so, God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we would be disturbed by our culture. Um, that we would be disturbed by our prejudices, that we would be disturbed by our disposition really towards your holiness. And God, that you would shake us up and manifest your glory in every single area of our lives, and particularly in this area where the church needs to be strengthened, and that is in gospel justice. As usual, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer, and whom we trust, uh, help us not to just be hearers of the word, being under deception, but help us to be effectual doers. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, we're going through the series on race, justice, and the gospel. And our desire in this series is to begin to work through uh, our presuppositions about this issue uh, because it is a huge issue in our day, even 40 years after uh, 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 the segregation and Jim Crowism was destroyed, even 200 plus years, uh, if you will, after, uh, after the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, there's still uh, you, you can, you can ab abolish uh, the, the, the appearance of a system, but you can't abolish the brokenness of hearts that created the system. And so in light of that reality, there has been a continuous perpetuation of the sinfulness of race, the sinfulness of justice issues that have impacted us now. And in this day, we'll talk about later how many of us think because there is a outward abolition of those things that there is no undercurrent and covert, even overt disposition of systems and people who run systems who have a disturbingly broken disposition towards equality. Amen, somebody. And so um, we, we come uh, here and, 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 it, and it makes me think of uh, Nicholas um, Walterstorff's book. He talks about it in his book, 
uh, until justice and peace embrace. He talks about the fact that shalom is the mechanism that God has given the church to engage issues of justice in society. Shalom is that Hebrew word that we see in the Bible over and over and over again in uh, law, prophets, and writings uh, that is the restitching of things back to God's desired design. The church, through the gospel, through the kingdom, through the unveiling of the already not yet kingdom, is supposed to be a prophetic witness to the world of what God's kingdom looks like coming down on earth as we actively engage in reflecting his holiness on very, very practical levels. And so shalom is the means by which we do that. Shalom in relationships, shalom in our work, shalom in how we do education, shalom across the board. He says a couple of things that I think are noteworthy that as we introduce this text to us today, that we can sort of wrap our minds around to really get an idea of how uh, uh, shalom or, or, or peace and justice should embrace. Look, look at what he says. He says, shalom is the human uh, a being uh, dwelling at peace in all his or her relationships with God, self, fellows, and nature. I love that. I love that. Dwelling at peace comprehensively with everything around you. Injustice comes against that. Therefore, there has to be a community producing and communicating and pushing for shalom because peace pushes injustice back. Now, number one, see this in a second. It says, but peace, which also is shalom, is not merely the absence of hostility. We got to know that. Peace doesn't mean that hell isn't breaking loose. Uh, 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 but it says, not merely being right relationships, shalom in its highest enjoyment is in one's relationships. He says, shalom incorporates right harmonious relationships to other human beings and delight in human community. Shalom is absent when a society is a collection of individuals all out to make their own way in the world. And so what happens is if any of us, whether in majority culture or minority culture, immigrant culture, whatever type of culture we come from, if we seek our own good and of the good of our own people group alone, guess what begins to happen? Injustice. Injustice is always automatic. And, and, and so, and so he, he goes on to say, he said, justice is the enjoyment of one's right. It's indispensable from shalom. Lastly, he says this. He says, can the conclusion be avoided? He said, can this conclusion be avoided, family? Uh, that not only is shalom God's cause in the world. I love this. We're going to get back into finding justice in a second. He said, he said, he said is this, not only is it God's cause and it can't be avoided, the conclusion can be avoided that not only is shalom God's cause in the world, but that all who believe in Jesus will, along with him, engage in the works of shalom. I love that. And we see that reality is very, very important as we look through, as we look through the ministry that we do, but then the responsibility that we have as individuals governing ourselves, 
and engaging in making sure that every level that God takes us in our life uh, has to do with engaging and loving on others. It's interesting to me that a lot of us in the pulpit preach people about their new season, but it, usually their season only points to their benefit, not the benefit of others. And, 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 and so, what, but, but, but biblically, your new season and your upgrade and your come up is always God leveraging his glory for you to use it on behalf of somebody else. If you can't use what God has given to you for anybody else, then you have damned yourself from the comprehensive level of blessing that God wants to bring through you as a pipeline versus a puddle. And whenever anyone in any type of strategic uh, position of privilege does not allow justice, we'll see in a minute, to roll down, they're locking away God's holiness from spreading to all people. And so we come to this passage. And we come to a passage, Amos. Amos is, is a famous verse for some in conservative, fundamentalistic, reformed evangelicalism. This is not a popular verse because you don't preach on justice and social action. Um, uh, 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 all you do is preach on regeneration and, you know, and that type of thing. You preach on, you know, uh, the solace and all of that kind of carrying on. And, 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 but, 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 but the solace, if we believe in uh, Scripture alone, if we believe in that, then we should preach the whole counsel of this uh, uh, um, and, and believe that everything in this points ultimately to Jesus Christ. And just as every passage in the Bible, even the spiritual ones, point to Jesus Christ, this is equally spiritual as the ones that we deem most spiritual as it relates to justification, sanctification, and glorification. I'm alone. It's okay. So in this book, in, in, in the book of Amos, um, Amos is a contemporary of Isaiah. They are prophets of Israel. Um, some believe that Amos was Isaiah's pop, but Amaz was his dad. Amos is a different prophet. He's from Tokiah. And it's interesting that Amos is prophesying during a time in which Israel is getting to economic height. And as they grew and God gave them upgrades, they forgot about the God who upgraded them. And when they forgot about the God who upgraded them, guess what they began to do? Worship other gods, but they kept their worship gatherings going on. They, start worship, they kept worshiping like nothing was happening, but the wealthy in Israel, when they got their privilege, they began to try to maintain their privilege by cutting those off who were below them so that they can remain in their place of privilege. And so God begins to challenge the people of God to not forget what God saved them from. And in not forgetting what God saved them from, he's putting them on a path to making sure that they use everything within their sphere to his glory and to his honor and to his praise, which brings us to our first point. If we're going to see this reality in the text of <coughs> gospel justice, how to turn prophetic voice into gospel action, number one, number one, number one, if we're going to do this, we must return to meaningful worship. We must return to meaningful worship. Look at, what, look at what the text says in verse 21. God says, I hate, I despise your feast. It's almost like <clears throat> God said, I, I, I hate and I despise. But he said, you know how somebody's so mad at you that they don't use any conjunctions to connect the words? They just... I, I, I hate, I, I mean, I, I, you know, they just, go, that's what God's doing right here. God's, God's, I mean, God is frustrated with his people 
And it's almost for my uh, language folk, this is what's uh, called a hendiatus. This is a term that points to the fact that they're compounding ideas that are synonyms used to show the potency of what those words mean. In other words, when God says, I hate and I despise your feast, what he's saying is, is I superlatively, undiscriminatively, overtly, not covertly, destructively hate and despise with the highest level of despicity your feast. That, that's, that's, that's what he's saying. He said, I, he, said, I'm, he said, I'm putting y'all on blow kai today. I'm putting you on blast, right? He says, he says, I hate your, he said, I hate your feast. Now you got to understand, that's big because he called them your feast. That's huge. He didn't call them my feast because if you look back in, law, in the law, he calls these his feast. But at some point in time in the journey of Israel, their celebrations to the Lord became not the Lord's celebration, but their celebration. You got to be careful when we, listen, when we become desensitized to the Lord's presence. In other, in other words, when God, you, you don't want to be like Saul and shake yourself and not realize the Lord's not with you. It, it's, it's a challenge here that God is not, and he says, this is something that you're doing for your own benefit. In other words, it's become a holy huddle without any external missiology or impact of other people's outside of yourself. In other words, you become an ingrown toenail. God hates it when people are locked in the shoe of the facility of the church. If you leave yourself with no socks on for a while and some leather shoes for a while, you're going to begin to what? Stink. You're going to get athlete's foot. See, many of our churches stink and they sweat and they itch so much because of athletes' community. And God is challenging us because we have not aired ourselves out in the world. And so the brokenness of our disposition has made its way into us infighting about justice, infighting about, it should be just a normal disposition. Well, we're fighting about, well, I don't believe that, I didn't do it. And, and, and what's happening is, is our prophetic voice is gone. The church at one point was supposed to be a prophetic voice. That's what I love about the historic African-American church that during slavery and during Jim Crow and during segregation, it was a prophetic voice and a few Anglos, just a few Anglo churches spoke into the prophetic voice, but many viewed themselves as the, 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 this is the disposition of the minority church and we don't want to get in the way. They're fighting against God's institution, government, because Romans 13 says that you should not fight your government, but submit to your government, and so you're coming against it, therefore they're in sin. Do research. And what's happened is this has made its way cataclysmically into our day where we have become staunchly, 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 staunchly uh, 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 paralyzed. And when I look at this neighborhood, I was, I mean, one of the elders was hanging out yesterday and I asked him, I said, I said, I know we're chilling, but I, I got a question. I, I ride my bike around here a lot. Ride my bike around. I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but ride my bike around, and I, that's why I got to move, because I can't, I can't just be here, because um, I'm riding around, and I'm looking at the condition 
of black people and Latinos. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at the amount of churches that are in this neighborhood. I asked one brother that lives behind the building, I won't say his name, I said, bro, how many drug strips is in a two-mile radius in each direction? He says 250. I, I, I'm, I, I'm going in, I'm driving my bike into the mansion with my kids. I walk up 18th Street because I live on 18th Street and the trash and the gutters are clogged with cement. People just come around here, dump bricks, pour, pour paint into our drainage holes. They don't do that in Society Hill. Do that in Society Hill and see what happens. Y'all quiet right now. It, it, it blows my mind I, I was talking to a Muslim developer and I asked him, how many people do you think rent in this community and own in this community? He said 75% rent. And I'm looking at the churches and we are everywhere. We everywhere. I asked for an estimation. There are 400 churches in the 19121 zip code. 400. 400. <laughs> 3,000 in Philly. So not, not in 19121, but North Philly, it's 400 churches still. And I'm asking myself, what in the heck are we doing? What are we doing? We gather, we worship, but if we disappeared today, would they know it? Would they know it? Would they know it? Would they know would they feel a sense of brokenness, even if they're not saved? They say that place and those people meant something to me. Well, the only thing be left are the cages that we put on the outside of our churches and barbed wire on the outside of the top of our fences. I understand this stuff. We've had stuff stolen, but that communicates something. God said, I hate your feast. I hate your revivals. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them because you're idols. It's yourself and your own needs. He's sick of it. And God says it here in the, he said, I hate, <coughs> he said, I hate your feast. Now I can feel that, but God even goes deeper. Feast that he created, he hates. Number two, he says, I hate. He said, I take no delight in your solemn assembly. Jesus. Solemn assembly is a time to fast, to repent from sin. Solemn assembly is what the church or the people of God utilize as a means to pause to look towards heaven. In other words, he's saying, the reason why I ain't feeling none of y'all solemn assemblies, he says, because when you get together to pray, it doesn't turn into anything in transforming your city. <clears throat> so he says, I hate, your, I hate your solemn assemblies. I dislike it. He even goes further. He says, he says, even though you offer burnt offerings and <clears throat> grain offerings, I will not accept them. He says, in peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon. I um, told some pastors, I said, to see the hell that is happening in our culture with justice and race, and you do not say anything is irresponsible, shepherding. Is irresponsible shepherding. 
had a guy, another friend of mine, a uh, white pastor, contact me, and he said, one of our elders got up and, and literally, we have a small group of African Americans that go to our church, and he says, um, he got up and literally talked, a, he, he did, he, he preached a sermon on victimization after the killing of Eric Garner. I, I said, what did he do? He said he literally preached a victimization sermon. He said every single African American got up and walked out. <clears throat> and I said, what did you think was going to happen? He said, well, we didn't think that it was much of an issue because he was resisting arrest and he was going through this. And so we sort of looked and I was like, yo, I'm like, I'm like scratching my head like, 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 even if you believe that. You needed to check the barometer of the group of people just to see how they viewed it because you assassinated their confidence in your prophetic voice. And, 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 and I'm asking myself, and I'm not just blaming it on predominantly Anglo churches. I'm talking about African-American churches. We've reviewed by the neighborhood as people who just want money. We, you know, I ain't coming in because all he want to do is Get my money. So some of us who care about that, we have to subsidize things that we want to get in order to not communicate the wrong thing. I mean, it's, it's a wrestle, but it's a fight, and we have to begin to see what is it our responsibility as the church to begin to tame the philosophical tide that has happened to how people view us. We're not the center of the neighborhood anymore. People don't come to the church for everything no more. They don't come to the church for counseling like they used to. They don't come to the church for food like they used to. They don't come to the church to learn how to get economically developed. They don't come to the church to, for job searches anymore. They don't come anymore. They go to other outlets and opportunities because the church has been so positioned and we've gotten in a place in America where we've gotten wealthy with our 501c3 status and we've used so many things to be able to get resources and now we have decimated and decimated made it our disposition towards the people we're supposed to help. <clears throat> there has to be a return to that. There has to be a return to that. You know what? I, 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 as I'm getting older, I'm getting spiritual Tourette's in a good way. Not unredeemed Tourette's. I'm starting not to care who's offended by truth. Let me tell you, as a, young, as a younger pastor, somebody would send me a letter or a text message, and it would destroy my whole week. Now I'm like, I'm a, Lord, is this from you? And I, I send it to some people around me. It, do you feel like this from the Lord? Is this the Lord? It ain't. I'm moving on. I'm a check. But if it ain't from him, I don't, like, I mean, I'm not saying you can send me email, all that. I'll, I'm a listener. Believe me, I'm a listener. But when you're on some old jacked upness, I can't even be bothered. I'm going to preach this Bible and preach this truth, and this church is going to move in this direction. Let me just tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If this church, and I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going, I'm going further than I want to go at this point in the sermon. If this church is multi-ethnic at the expense of engaging the brokenness of African Americans and Latinos in this community, I could care less if it's multi-ethnic. I could care less of making it comfortable for you to gather for the gatherings. And hell is breaking loose on the block. 
I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm not here to make you comfortable. So if you're here to be comfortable, there are better places to be comfortable and do nothing. I am, I am cursed with this um, disposition of brokenness where I can't take it anymore. This is exact. I knew this was going to happen to me because this is why I did not want to come back to the inner city because I grew up in it. This is exactly, and I knew this would one day happen where I would get sick and tired of seeing black men get killed. I would get sick and tired of redlining. I would get sick and tired of being sick and tired of destructive tendencies in communities. And there has to be a move of the spirit in the church to change it. And the problem with us is we don't think that's gospel-centered. Well, let's go to the next point and see what thus saith the Lord says about this second point in the Macho Way. Got to keep my voice for the second service. Point two. Justice must be seen as a natural outworking of the gospel, not separate. Justice must be seen as a natural outworking of the gospel, not separate from it. Look at what it says. But let, oh, stop right there. But let. Now roll down uh, like, like waters, like waters, roll down like waters is in the first part of the, past, the, the verse, which means it's in the emphatic position meaning that it's a place of emphasis. <clears throat> but it's interesting that the text says, but let. Somebody say, but let. <clears throat> that means <clears throat> that in contrast to what we view as spirituality, <laughs> God includes this in it. Number two, let means you're in the way of it. <laughs> Just real simple. It means you're standing right in the way of justice. That means... If you're standing in the way of justice, that means you have the ability to bring it. <laughs> That's just what the Bible is saying. We have the ability to do it and be it and execute it. He says, let justice roll down like waters. This is interesting. <clears throat> justice is the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception. There are two words for justice in the Old Testament. This one embedded in it has a view of right judgment. In other words, being able to judge rightly about different things so that you can properly judge it and execute the justice that's due that particular situation. That, that's what it means here. Now, what defines justice is not that though. What defines justice is the fact that our God has in his nature justice. <clears throat> justice is God's, listen, justice is God's Holiness looking for his standards to be kept. <laughs> Justice, God's holiness is his purity of character. Justice is sort of like the thermometer for whether or not holiness is being practically executed. So to be unjust is to walk in unholiness. So how is that connected to the gospel? All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Glory of God is God showing off and magnifying his attributes. 
And, what, and, the, and the attribute that goes through every attribute is holiness. He's holy love. He's holy grace. He's holy justice. He's holy omniscience. Everything about him is clean. So if glory is the magnification of his attributes, then uh, 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 holiness with glory is God glorifying and showing off the holiness that pervades all of his attributes. But justice is also one of his relative qualities that can be held by humans without sharing it with him, but a display of him. So therefore, he's innately, y'all checking with me today? So he's innately giving you and I the ability to do justice. That means he's given us the ability to do it. That means we must do something about it. Simply put, our worship gatherings, we can go to 12 gatherings, we can go multi-site, we can plant 1,500 churches, but if we're not, somebody asks us, Pastor, we're going to do another site? I said, man, when I look at North Philly, I don't even know if I ever want to do one. Because I'm not trying to just start another worship gathering. How in the world can I think about multi-site with the hell North Philly going through? I mean, I'm not against multi-site, but I ain't, I ain't just try, we ain't trying to just do a gathering. I want lives to be noticeably changed and for children to see themselves so differently. We can move into another neighborhood, buy a better bit. We can sell this whole property for three to four million dollars and build a new booming facility better than this one. But God's placed us here. Amen. I'm embarrassed every time I walk up to the windows and they're looking like that. We're going to get them fixed one day. But I know we're here for a reason. We're here for a reason. He says, he says he wants us to let justice roll down. Like waters. In order for that to happen, we must acknowledge two things. Practically. And I'm out your way. Y'all can get mad at me. I don't care. We have to acknowledge two things. White privilege and blacks, crabs in the barrel. Oh, y'all not going to. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We have to. Those are systemic places of repentance. Uh, um, um, a, a young lady, I'm going to see if I can get to her points. She wrote on white privilege in the 80s, 1989, uh, Peggy. I can't remember Peggy's last name. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Um, he says, she says, these are things that, you, I mean, it's so much to read. Oh, God. Uh, she said, I think whites are carefully taught not to recognize white privilege. She says, as males are taught not to recognize male privilege. So I have begun an untutored <laughs> way to ask what it is like to have white privilege. I've come to see white privilege as an invisible package of unearthed assets that I can count on cashing in on each day, mm. but about which I can count on, uh, but, but about which I was meant to remain oblivious. She said, white privilege is like an invisible weightless knapsack of special privileges, maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. She said, my schooling gave me no training in seeing myself as an oppressor, as an unfairly advantaged person, or as a participant in a damaged culture. 
I was taught to see myself as an individual whose moral state depended on her individual moral will. Did you hear that? My schooling followed the pattern my colleague uh, said has pointed out whites are taught to mind their lives as morally neutral, normative, and advantaged, and also ideal so that when we work to the benefit, to benefit others, this is seen as work that will allow them to be more like us. So I'm gonna just name a few points she says. You get the idea. I can afford, she said, this is how you know you're underprivileged, you're in privileged. She said, I can, if I wish, arrange to be in a company of people of my race most of the time. In other words, I can just be around my people all the time. <clears throat> Let me just give you some background on black folk. When black folk are in a majority white folk area and they see a black person, you don't care if they're from Mars. This is just, I'm just being, black folk, no. You don't care where they're from. How you doing? How you doing? Woo! You know, it's just, that's how black folk act. Now, um, there's this sense of that, right? Um, it says, I can avoid spending time with people whom I am trained to mistrust. I was like, dang it. If I, move, if I should need to move, I can, pretty sure, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and in which I want to live. I can just go down the line. I can send these to you, or you can look it up online. But we have to acknowledge that there is an undercurrent of systemic things that have been put in place that allow for there to be white privilege. For instance, I'll give you this and I'm out your way because y'all real uncomfortable. It's okay. Um, I was talking to um, a friend of mine. He's like, yeah, my mom, this friend of mine, white friend of mine, he's like, man, my mom and my parents, man, they just sold their house. I was like, wow, praise God. They sold this, I sold it and they sold it for blase, blase amount. They only bought it for this. I was like, <laughs> I said, I said, they bought it for 25 Gs, and what? And how much they get for it now? It's like a million times the amount. But people in redlined neighborhoods who buy a home around here, the property value is weighted to go down and even strategically set to go down so that people can buy them for lower prices through a city planning commission for a lesser price, begin to de redevelop it, put coffee shops and nice places. Then the property value begins to go like this, and the people who have been there for years are priced out through taxes, even though their houses are already paid for. It's just invisible things, right? That's, that's just one. Now let me go with the crabs in the barrel. I'll be out of the way. But I, I, I want us to recognize that the question is, uh, well, let me answer the question at the end. I got five minutes. It's going to be, uh, I know you're like, dang, it's five more minutes? All right. Crabs in the barrel, self-destructive tendencies of African-Americans. <laughs> because what can happen with African-Americans is when you experience, especially if you come from it, you experience the spoils of privilege and you're used to being the only black in the room, the only expert in the room, you kind of forget where you came from because you like 
You like having a touch in white privilege even though you know you're still excluded. And then you begin to view people below you. And then when somebody else is African-American, I'm talking to black African-Americans, not black everybody, but black African-Americans, when another African-American's doing well, you got major haterade. Because it's not you that got in as the one through the door to be the only Negro there. And so what we do is we pull each other down. That's why we can't have a business around here. Because you'll work for Koreans. I'm going to talk real tight right now. You'll work for Koreans and white folk, and you'll work for somebody black, and you'll steal from them, and they'll put you at the cash register at the Korean spot, and you'll you won't steal from them. You'll smile and come in on work on time. When you work for somebody African-American, you'll act a fool, talking about brother, sister, this, and all that kind of carrying on. And then you wonder why the business closed. It's because we steal from each other. Now, y'all ain't going to talk back to me. It's tight, but it's right. Every time a black person owns a business, you want to hook up. Somebody white or somebody else have a business, you pay full price. Hook me up. You know, hook a brother up. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? What am I saying all of this? How, do, how is God calling each and every one of us to leverage our privilege for the broken. That's what I want to say. How, how is God, how is God, what is he saying to you? As you get your education at Temple, as you get your education at UPenn, one of the best schools in the country, Drexel, wherever you go, what is the benefit besides being out of school debt, which is a good benefit? Um, <laughs> Some of y'all felt that in the deepest part of your body. <laughs> um, um, what's the benefit of getting a wife, having three and a half kids, picket fence, Labrador retriever, nice car, sports car when you get in the middle age, vacation once a year? Beyond that, as a ministerial prophet of God, what, what, what is, I want you to ask God this. Unsettle me in my desire to be comfortable. Unsettle me. Help me to feel like there's an oracle, a burden in the middle of my heart that I cannot shake unless I'm obedient to it, to see to it that someone else has a better life than I did. Not just your children, but the people around you. How's God calling you to do that today? We're not trying to beat up white folk. We're not trying to downgrade or air black laundry. What we are trying to do is we got to make a difference. There has to be better education here. So no way in the world, I got 35 seconds, that they should cut the school budget and increase the jail budget. Amen. Amen. Who does that? And guess who's impacted? African-American children in Philadelphia. Look at what we do. We have charter schools come up, and single moms have to take a lottery ticket 
and wish that their kid would get a good enough education and they have to stand there like animals. Help me today. Wondering can they get, this is their only option. Well, they shouldn't have got themselves pregnant in the first place. You got some issues too that if God didn't come through for yours, Lord help me. Don't you, dare, don't you dare look over your nose at that single mom. Don't you dare. Her sin just bore fruit for people to see. You have a reality TV show, and let's see behind your curtain. We got to do something about this mess. And what I love about this text is that it's so full of the gospel. Because God is a God of justice. He could rightly throw us all in hell. Could rightly. His justice, his holiness demands that he throws us in hell. But what he does is he says, I have to satisfy my holiness and my just anger towards them. So I have to justly save them. Can't just forgive them because that wouldn't be just. So what I have to do? I send Jesus, put my anger, before I put my anger on him, I'm going to put the just wrath of my anger towards the sins of the church on them, on him. And when Christ is crushed, the church is saved. How could you say the gospel has nothing to do with justice? It has everything the reason why you're sitting here regenerated is because of the justice of God being satisfied in Christ. And the outworking of that makes its way into proclaiming his excellencies through a broken system to use it as bait. Justice is bait for salvation. <laughs> it's bait for salvation. I'm done. I got to do this one more time. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, um, um, for your mercy and for your grace um, that is everlasting, um, yet you confronted us and loved us enough to not let your wrath be poured out on us, but you poured it out on Jesus justly. <laughs> Even though Jesus experienced injustice of humans, he experienced the justice of heaven. And because of faith in the Son of God, we are taken from spiritual death to spiritual life by faith in the fact that your wrath has been satisfied in Jesus. And when you poured your anger out on Jesus, and he died and got up from the grave. Getting up from the grave was a proclamation of your satisfaction. Real quickly, is there anyone in here that wants that applied to them? God's wrath being satisfied for your sin. Do you want to put your confidence in him? Do you want to put your faith in him? Do you want to put your trust in him? Slip your hand in the air if you want to 
be saved today, if you want to be saved from the wrath of God, spending eternity separated from him. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. Slip your hand in the air. Anyone, thank you for putting your hand up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? I see another hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else say, I want to put my confidence in Jesus. We'd love to pray for you guys. Those of you, put your hand up. If you could do one more thing, if you could just come up so I can pray for you. Every head bow, every eye closed. Nobody looking at him. Nobody looking at him. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. This is between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord God. Nobody's looking. This is the best decision that you could ever make in your life. To place your confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else want to put their call? I see you coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. Yeah, thank you. I see you coming. It's another one. Yeah, this is beautiful. Beautiful. Anyone else? want to put their confidence in Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see that hand. Come on up, brother. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. But I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray, and I'm thanking God that you are making the most strategic and most powerful decision in your life to put your confidence in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this resurrection from the grave, and it takes you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Lord, thank you for these men and women coming up. It is powerful that they are believing you for salvation today and making a profession of faith. And God, I just pray for them that they would believe in their heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. Thank you for coming up. It wasn't too late. Thank you for coming up. Thank you for coming up. It wasn't too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. Never too late. While I'm praying, if you, if you could do the same thing, that's God at work, <laughs> um, that you guys would believe in your heart that Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the grave. If that's you and you place your faith in that, you are taken from spiritual death the spiritual life.